Pastor Xavier Reese speaks to the compromising Christians. A.W. Tozer in his devotional said the following, A new Decalogue has been adopted by the neo-Christians of our day. The first word of this Decalogue reads, Thou shalt not disagree. And a new set of Beatitudes too, which begins, Blessed are they that tolerate everything, for they shall not be made accountable for anything. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One of the greatest tools and traps of cults and even religious groups is control. If the leaders can control your thoughts and actions, they can control your life. The scary part is that they can make false teachings sound like truth. Today, from his study series in the Gospel of Luke, Pastor Xavier dissects the Word of God and draws out biblical simple truths about the afterlife contained in the Word. Turn to Luke chapter 20 for today's study titled, Marriage at the Resurrection. Jesus has been teaching all day in the temple. It is Tuesday, the last week of Passion Week, and he has been confronted, questioned constantly, in an attempt to catch him in his words to accuse him. Now the Sadducees take their turn attempting to prove Jesus wrong by asking a question about the relationship of a husband and wife in marriage to refute the resurrection here in verses 27 to 40. Let me read. Then some of the Sadducees who denied that there was a resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, for he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answer and says, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dare not question him anymore. Their attempt to prove Jesus wrong by asking this question about the relationship of a husband and wife in marriage to refute the resurrection is characterized by the following three things. First, the hypocritical question about marriage, verse 27 and 28. Secondly, the hypothetical case in marriage in verses 29 to 33. And thirdly, the historical truth about marriage, 34 through 40. Notice the particular group in verse 27 that are confronting Jesus were the Sadducees. Then some of the Sadducees who denied that there was a resurrection came to him 
and asked him. The Sadducees, you know, were one of the three groups mentioned in the New Testament. The Pharisees were the most prominent and means the uh, separatists. They were the religious rulers of Israel having originated from the great synagogue after the Babylonian captivity as we've seen. And they accepted all the Old Testament books, even the oral tradition that they had just multiplied over in their legalism. They sought praise in outward observance, um, external rites, outward pieties of washing and fastings and praying on street corners and all, putting an emphasis on good works on themselves, thinking they were self-righteous. In fact, um, their phrase Pharisee is synonymous with hypocrisy. They believe in the existence of good and bad angels and a coming Messiah, it's just that they missed the Messiah, and they believe in the resurrection of the dead unto punishment and reward. But they were bitter enemies of enemy, of Jesus. They opposed him constantly, and Jesus rebuked them severely for their greed, ambition, and hypocrisy. Josephus, a historian, tells us that there were no more than 6,000 at any one time of these um, Pharisees. You also have the Herodians. The Herodians were... um, a political party of the royal family of Herod the Great and his sons. And they were uh, strange bedfellows, uh, the Herodians and and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in that they had a common hatred for Jesus. It is interesting how many times people can hate each other and be so opposed to each other, but if they can find a common enemy, they can unite together. Now, they asked Jesus if it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, hoping to entrap him. They they did that earlier, the Herodians. But Jesus, of course, you know, anybody have a coin? <laughs> and you know the story. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. Then you have these Sadducees here. Uh, the name Sadducee means um, the righteous from the Hebrew word Sadak, which means just. And uh, they were descendants of Zadok, the priest of David, that replaced Ahithophel, if you remember. Some trace him to Zerubbabel. And this is the second religious group that comprised the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court. The uh, Sadducees were a quasi-political religious group, very wealthy, materialists, uh, having made the temple their main business venture and um, marking up the uh, sacrifice offerings, putting uh, money changers and taking great percentage and just merchandising the people. And the Sadducees denied the oral law of the Pharisees as God's revelation that is not authoritative or inspired. And they only accepted the writings of Moses, the first five books, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And of course, they, um, they denied the resurrection. They um, didn't believe that there was any such thing afterwards. So here in the opening verse of 27, who denied that there is a resurrection? They denied the resurrection of the body the immortality of the soul. This is recorded in Matthew 22, 23, Mark 12, 18, and here again. It's consistent. Remember John the Baptist, when they came out to him as he was baptizing there in the wilderness, John called him brood of vipers, saying, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come in Matthew 3, 7? John the Baptist of the priestly family called them. He knew them. They controlled the priesthood. They were the high priests. John was of the priestly family. John should have been a priest, but God called him to be a prophet. He called these guys brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. They were constantly um, 
in league with the Pharisees opposing Jesus, and yet they oppose each other in many different ways. Now, notice they deny the existence of spirits and angels also. That's another thing that we find out in uh, Matthew 12, 38 through 40, and in uh, Matthew 16, 12, they, uh, they, the Pharisees came and, and, and they asked Jesus about a sign. Give us a sign. And he says, no sign shall be given you except that was spoken by the prophet Jonah. That as he spent three days and three nights in, in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's the core of the resurrection. He just nailed them. When Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin, you remember, uh, as he was arrested falsely there at the, at the temple that he had brought in Gentiles, he exposes the hypocrisy of the council. And you find this in Acts 23, 6 through 9. It says, um, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. He nails him right there. <laughs> and when he has said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and an assembly was divided, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angels or spirits. But the Pharisees confessed both. Then there arose loud outcry, and the scribes and the Pharisees' parties arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. <laughs> Paul was good. He was part of the Sanhedrin too, okay? So we know Paul had to be married to be part of the Sanhedrin. And he knew Sadducees, they don't believe in angels, resurrection, spirits. Pharisees do. I'm going to split this thing right now. <laughs> Notice verse 28. The particular question that Jesus was in the law of Moses, saying, teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife... And he dies without children. His brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. The Sadducees can't wait to disprove Jesus. They want to win this case, but they're just before the public. Got to watch their P's and Q's. They address Jesus with respect, calling him teacher in reference to the things of God. But I don't think they did it sincerely. I think they did it in mockery. The word at times is translated master. Jesus was constantly teaching the people, as you know, we've seen this all along, about sin and the need of repentance. You want a definition in a nutshell about the kingdom of God? The preaching of the gospel for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. You move away from that. You move away from God and the kingdom. You lose everything. It can't get any simpler than that. He taught about not following the example of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The part of the law the Sadducees were referring to was found in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 25, verse 5 through 10. The law is called the liberate law of marriage. The law basically was a provision that the line of the deceased individual relative might be preserved. So if a man died without children, as we're going to see here, having no son, then his brother who wasn't married was to marry his surviving widow. And then the first son to be born would be regarded as the literal son of the dead brother to take up his line and lineage. This was a provision. Boaz is a good example. Remember that he told Ruth, blessed you are 
daughter, for you have not picked one of the younger men, but I, he was older, and he would do the duty of this liberate law, and, and he would have to take her and Naomi and the property and raise up seed unto her husband. Okay? Now, there was an escape clause in this also, that if the man said, no way, I ain't marrying her, then he would have to go before the elders, he would loosen his shoe, spit in his face, and it would be known the man whose shoe was loose. Now, to us, that doesn't mean anything. But in that culture, it was a great insult because you refused to take up that which was most uh, binding and necessary for the lineage. Shakespeare said, man, poor man, ignorant in that which he knows best. These um, Sadducees think they're so chic, so clever. They, they've thought this through. They're going to nail Jesus. They're going to trap him. They are just going to embarrass him in front of everybody. Some people say, if there's a God, why does he allow children to be born with deformities? He has to be cruel. But the world that we see is not the world that God intended. So it's wrong to blame God for the conditions of the world. If you believe the fall in Genesis, then the world makes perfect sense to you. But if you reject the record of the fall, then you have to invent an explanation for everything you see in the world at the contradiction of the evil. If you say man is good, what do you do with evil? Where did it come from? So you ignore it. The world is um, really the result of the disobedience, rebellion against God by Adam. Romans 5.12, sin and death came through one man. Passed to all of us. Every one of us are sinners. We still have sin nature. We have a potential for good, but our intent is evil. The human race is a product of the fallen nature through Adam, rebellious self-will, until we repent, until the gospel pierces our heart. That's why Paul the Apostle was so adamant about the gospel. Others ask um, if God is all-powerful, why does he um, allow evil to exist in the world? He could just quench it. They say if God is all-powerful, why does he allow evil to prevail over good people? They say if God is all-knowing, why doesn't he stop something before it happens? And you have heard all these rationales, and they're really straw men that are built to try to disprove God, but they don't hold any water. The answer is that God has given man a conscience and allowed him with his human free will to make a choice. And so God allows this free will in the fallen nature to run its course. Through conscience, each of us know right and wrong. If we don't pay attention to it and we callous our conscience, then it becomes useless. But that conscience that God gives to us should lead us to creation that everything around us couldn't have just happened. There has to be a designer. There has to be a creator. But if I callous my conscience, then I have to conclude something different than what my conscience tells me. So then comes human indoctrination. And it's used as a rationale. It's when I open my heart that God now recalibrates my conscience to the word of God. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation, the Jew for and to the Gentile, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. He's quoting Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. 
still others will ask if God created us and gave us certain desires, especially our sex drive. Why does God call sex sin? They say, how can God create us as sexual beings and then tell us not to be sexually active? Sounds logical, rational. They say if we love each other, really that's all that matters. The answer is that God created male and female to experience the most intimate experience through the commitment of marriage for the continuation of the human race, Genesis 2, 23 and 24, or 22 on down. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two should become one flesh. Marriage. Without marriage, without a union of man and a woman, the human race becomes extinct. And by the way, every nation is under the recovery rate of population, except for the United States. Because of the lie of Overpopulation for over 50, 60 years. It's been achieved through abortion, through euthanasia, and everything else. We're the only nation. A hair above the recovery rate. You see, the hypocritical question about marriage was an attempt to entrap Jesus. And that's what all these arguments are. But you're to give an answer scripturally. Why, as a Christian? Notice, secondly, comes the hypothetical case in marriage, 29 through 33. In 29 through 31, the Sadducees declared a tragic story of one family. The main characters were a group of brothers. Now there were seven brothers. Families in those days depended on male children over females. When the birth of a child would come, they would all come with food and musical instruments. They're going to have a party. If a boy was born, they would have a feast. If a girl was born, they'd just pack up and go home. Now, to us, it seems offensive, but you've got to understand the worldview of those days and the culture. Uh, males uh, would pass on the family name, and males would marry, and they would live in the father's house. They would enlarge the house, not diminish it while the daughter would go to the other husband's house and diminish her father's house. 29 here. Notice the first brother married. His marriage was short-lived. And the first took a wife and died without children. So the woman was a young widow at this point, and she remained as part of the family. They didn't just kick her out. There had been a commitment made, and the family's involved. The second brother fulfilled a liberate obligation also in 30, and the second took her as wife, and he died childless. The woman must have been shocked at this point. The woman was still part of the family. The third brother also complied with the liberate obligation. Then the third took her, and he died childless. Now, by this time, you would think that the family might be getting a little suspicious. Now, we're not giving details. Maybe they should have checked the uh, bagels or the, something. But at the same time, it reveals how um, they honored God's word if, in fact, this story is true, which I don't believe it is. They're setting Jesus up. Then the fourth to the seventh in verse 31 submitted to this liberate law. And in like manner, the seven also, it says, and they left no children and died. 
Now, as I said, the story is a bit hard to believe as the real account. The story fits more with the intent to embarrass and to entrap Jesus, as is very clearly indicated in this entire chapter by different groups. Nevertheless, Jesus will answer them according to their mistaken belief about the resurrection to correct their false teaching. Today, in the church, people say, oh, well, let's not argue, let's just agree. To... No, 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 no. I need to let you know that you're wrong. You get to decide whether you believe you're wrong or not, but I'm to give you the absolute truth. I'm to correct your error, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian. I'm not to do it in anger. I'm not to do it in a thinking I'm better than you, but I'm to do it in a loving manner. Notice the Sadducees declared the tragic end of the woman now, 32 to 33. She came to the end of her life. Last of all, the woman died also. Now, no no specifics are given to us, whether uh, of a relationship uh, with any of the sevens. But I would imagine at this time, maybe the family said, man, she's gone. (laughs) Seven. We're not told how old she was. But if she married seven brothers, there must have been a good length of time here. We're simply told that she died also. Look at 33. The death of all seven brothers and the woman was used now to present their question to Jesus. The question is about the resurrection. In the resurrection, whose wife does she become? And I can just see them with all arrogant pride that they're saying, looking around to the crowd, we have him. They're in for a surprise. They thought they had stumped and embarrassed Jesus publicly. The rationale is given. Listen, for all seven had her as wife. Oh, man, they think they have just sealed the deal. They stated this as their evidence that there could not be a resurrection. When she's raised, what do you do, cut her up in seven pieces? Human logic, right? They believed they had proven Jesus and the Pharisees wrong about the resurrection. So if we prove Jesus wrong, we also knock off the Pharisees at the same time. Two birds with one stone. They were serious. A.W. Tozer in his devotional, Renewed renewed Day by Day, September 24, said the following. Listen carefully. Quote, I observe with pain amusement how many water boys of the pulpit in their efforts to be prophets and are standing up straight and tall and speaking out boldly in favor of ideas that have been previously fed into their minds by the psychiatrists, sociologists, and novelists, and scientists, and the secular educators. He lived in the past century. A new decalogue has been adopted by the neo-Christian, which is an oxymoron. There's no new Christianity, but they call themselves Christians. Neo-Christians of our day, the first word of this Decalogue reads, Thou shalt not disagree. And a new set of Beatitudes too, which begins, Blessed are they that tolerate everything, for they shall not be made accountable for anything. The hypothetical case in marriage was presented to confirm that there could not be a resurrection as taught by Jesus. They think they have him. They think they have won the argument here. But the story's not over. 
Who can challenge God and win? That's the challenging simple truth from the Gospel of Luke Pastor Xavier Reese leaves with us for today. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. However, in the meantime, you can always pick up your own copy of this message. And the title to ask for is Marriage at the Resurrection. It's available on CD, as usual, for only $4. Once again, you'll be asking for the message titled Marriage at the Resurrection. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 